Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And once again, let's just pray for a minute before we get into our study. Lord, I pray that our hearts right now as we're sitting, that our hearts are settled and that our ears would be open to hearing the word of God as it goes forth, and that we would be encouraged and blessed tonight as we study these chapters. And, and Lord, there's so much to glean from. As we see that Ruth was gleaning in the fields of Boaz, we desire to glean in, in the pages of your word that is given to us and to make application and to have your word be worked deep within our hearts. So bless this time again in your study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You recall that the book of Ruth, there was this family from Bethlehem during the days of the judges. And the days of the judges, as you know, it was very dark times in their history of the children of Israel. So there's famine in the land, and this family from Bethlehem, Elimelech with his wife Naomi, they have two sons, Malon and Chilion, they look across the Jordan Valley to the hills of Moab. And as they did, they saw that the grass was greener over there, that there's famine here in the land. So they packed up and they moved away from Bethlehem. And as they did, it was the two sons of Elimelech that got married. And Malon would end up marrying a woman by the name of Ruth. Well, during their time in Moab, as you know as the story unfolds, that it was Elimelech that ended up dying, Naomi's husband. And then her two sons died, Malon and Chilion as well. So here's Naomi in Moab in a foreign country. She has lost her husband, her two sons. She has two daughter-in-laws. She says, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. You stay here. She was desiring and, and giving advice to her two daughter-in-laws that were widows as well, that you need to stay in Moab and, and marry from you know, your own people. But it was Ruth that you saw who was devoted to Naomi. She said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to cling to you. And wherever you go, I'm going to go. And, and your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. So that, that beautiful statement of Ruth, of, of devotion and dedication to her mother-in-law, they come back from Moab to Bethlehem. The people are very excited to, to see Naomi come back. And her name means pleasant, but it was Naomi that said, no longer call me pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter, because of the bitter loss and experience that she had in Moab. And also she said, I left here full and have returned empty. So here is Naomi and Ruth. Both of them are widows. They've, they've lost their husbands. They've lost their family. They're back in Bethlehem. They've lost everything. They're poor. They don't have any money. So chapter 2, as we saw last week, Ruth goes into the fields and begins to glean in the grain fields there. And of course, that was a provision of God, as we see in the law given in the book of Leviticus and in the book of De Deuteronomy, that those who were widowed and poor and orphans, they could go into the grain fields and they could harvest, they could pick the grain there in the corners of those fields. And so those guidelines were given for provision. So here it is, it's harvest time in Bethlehem. It is Ruth that is there gleaning in the fields, and, and she is harvesting, providing for her and for Naomi 
working all day long, and Boaz comes along, a man who is wealthy, a man who is known there in Bethlehem. And Boaz, as we also know, was one who was a godly man. And so he notices Ruth, and what we saw here in chapter 2 was the relationship began to develop. And those of you who know the story of Ruth, you know that the book of Ruth is a book of romance. It's a book of redemption, and it's a book of restoration. And as we will finish here tonight, the last two chapters, we're going to see that indeed that it speaks of God's love for you and for me. It speaks of God's redemption because Boaz, as we have seen in in verse 1, in verse 2 here of chapter 3, that he is our relative. In other words, in the Hebrew, he is our goel. He is a kinsman redeemer, and I'm seeking security for you, Ruth. And so we're going to see what the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer was back in ancient Israel. But also what we're going to see that it's going to point to and give us application here tonight as we finish this book of God's love for you and for me, of God's redemption through our greater than Boaz, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed you and me by his blood, and also about his faithfulness and how he desires to bring that restorative work in our own lives. And perhaps you're here tonight, and maybe you're going through a a time of famine. Maybe you're going through a a time of where you need provision and protection and covering, and, and you're crying out to the Lord, know this, that the Lord desires to work for you, just as we're going to see that the Lord is working in Ruth's situation here. So here is Naomi. Me, Ruth's mother-in-law, saying that, hey, I want to provide security for you. Literally what she's saying is I'm seeking that you have some rest. I'm seeking that you have some provision, that you have some uh, uh, covering for you and, and security that is for you as well. And, and here is Boaz. He is a kinsman. He is a goel, the kinsman redeemer. And so as we look at this, we know that our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, he is where we find rest, isn't he? He's our hope. And he's our security as he has redeemed us and he loves us and desires for us to come to him as he would give that invitation on the hillside there in Galilee, and he would say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me. And Jesus desires for us to come. And don't you ever notice in the Gospels, when Jesus gave an invitation, it was always to come, to come, and for you to come to him, because he's the one that wants to give that security to you, eternal security. He wants to give you spiritual, emotional security. He wants to work on your behalf. So here is Boaz. What does it mean here in ancient Israel that he was the kinsman redeemer? Well, they had four main responsibilities as we look at the Old Testament. According to Leviticus chapter 25, we know that the kinsman redeemer, the relative, the goel in the Hebrew, that he was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. And so that was one of the responsibilities that they had. And we know that our redeemer, Jesus Christ, that he has bought us out of slavery. That is, he has redeemed us out of this world. He has redeemed us from sin. And we're out of the slavery, the slavery of, of world, uh, the slavery of sin, the penalty of sin, and the power of sin in our lives. The children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, as you know, as we read the book of Exodus, 
And there they are under the taskmaster's whips of the Egyptians. And they're in slavery. And it was the Lord by his mighty hand that would bring them out of Egypt and to that place uh, that he was going to give to them. This place here that includes Bethlehem. And eventually that would happen. And the Lord has brought you and me out of Egypt. And it has happened because of the hands of Jesus that were stretched forth and He died for you and for me, redeeming us, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. So Jesus Christ, he has bought us out of slavery. Second of all, in ancient Israel, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to be the avenger of blood, to bring justice when a family member is killed. Now you recall that we saw the law concerning the avenger of blood and and the uh, cities that were of refuge. And so it was back there then that they didn't have Uh, police force they didn't have district attorneys and all of that and so if a crime was committed against you or somebody did wrong to you really you are responsible to bring in that person to justice to the leaders there of, of that area or of that city that was nearest to you or which you belong to and so that was the guidelines kind of and so we looked at all of those things and we know that jesus that he is a just god he is going to bring judgment that will be given to him and as he will take care of the murderer satan satan who is called a murderer and he is going to cast him into the lake of fire eventually. So here is the second responsibility. The third responsibility is that he was to buy back, and and this pertains to the story that we're reading here in the book of Ruth. What the kinsman redeemer was to do is to buy back the family land that had been forfeited, again, from Leviticus chapter 25. And so inheritance was very, very important. You recall that as they went into the promised land that the tribes each had their allotments and according to those allotments, each family got a portion of land and that inheritance was to continue through the family as that inheritance was passed down from you know children to their children to their children and the family name also was to continue as well. So inheritance and continuing your name Uh, was very, very important back in ancient Israel. So if you lost land, God had made a provision to where that nearest relative could redeem that land back for you and that you had forfeited. And we know that Jesus, that he went and found a field in Matthew chapter 13, didn't he? And he bought the field, redeemed the field so he can take the treasure out. And one of the beautiful things about the book of Ruth here is we're going to see that it is Boaz that is going to act as the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Most of you know this story. And for Naomi and for the family name and to get back those fields. You see, Ruth, as she is going to end up marrying Boaz. And that is the fourth responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. He was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. And that's according to Deuteronomy chapter 25 as well. So that the name of the dead relative, you know, could continue on. And so this is all that's taken place here. The law that was given to them in ancient Israel, he was to redeem back not only the land, but he was going to get a bride as well. And when Jesus told of that parable, that a man who gave up everything, to, and he went and bought a field, because in that field was a treasure that was hidden, and he bought the field to take the treasure out. You see, Boaz, he didn't redeem the land back so he can have more land. 
He redeemed and acted as a kinsman redeemer so he could get a bride, and that is Ruth. Because that was part of the responsibility. Hey, we're going to perpetuate the dead you know, man, your, your ex-husband's name, and that is going to continue on. But he wanted Ruth because they're in love with each other. There's devotion as there. The, the relationship has grown to be that. And you see, Jesus, as he redeemed the field, and the field in the New Testament speaks of the world. He redeemed the world back to himself. Not that he can have another planet, but that he may have to treasure you. And so he loves you and I so much that he gave up everything and went to Calvary's cross for us. And so you can see the connections and how Boaz points to and, and speaks of Jesus Christ, uh, our Redeemer as well. So here is Naomi saying, you know what, you need to go down to Boaz. He's down at the, at the, uh, at the threshing floor. He's winnowing, and he's threshing the grain. Harvest is over. Now, what they would do, they had the threshing floor, and as harvest came in, they would take the grain, and they would you know, take a winnowing fork, and they would throw it up in the air, and it was an open space, so the wind would come through, and then the chaff would separate from the grain, and the grain being heavier would fall to the ground. And, and so they would then sweep up the grain and the chaff kind of blown away. They would sweep it up and they would burn it. The grain would be then stored in the barns. And so that's what they're doing here, this process of just with the winnowing fans and just going through and just winnowing the grain and separating that wheat from the chaff and the grain from the chaff and all this that's taking place at this harvest time. And so we know that as Jesus came to John, there at the river, as we read in the Gospels, for example, in Matthew chapter 3, you remember that when John the Baptist saw Jesus, that it was John that said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we also know that in Matthew chapter 3, that it was then John the Baptist that said concerning Jesus, that his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, that Jesus is going to come and judge. He is going to deal with the murderer Satan. And there is going to be a harvest that's going to take place. And we see that Jesus speaks of those parables throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, of that separation of the wheat and the tares and other examples that he uses. But he's going to be ultimately the one who's going to judge. And ultimately, there's going to be a harvest, isn't there? There's going to be a harvest. But I can't help but think about in Matthew chapter 9, after Jesus' baptism, that when Jesus was up on the Galilee region and on the hillsides were great multitudes, and it says that he saw the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were as if sheep without a shepherd. They were scattered. And Jesus would turn to his disciples and he would say that, that pray for laborers to go into the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful. And that's what I hope is your mindset and your heart as well as mine and us here at Calvary Chapel is that we would understand that there's a harvest that is out there. And the Lord is saying, pray for laborers of the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a dying world that is out there. And you and I have opportunity to go out and be light and to give truth and, and to show God's love and speak of God's love 
to a dying world. There is a harvest out there, and eventually there will be a final harvest as believers will be separated from unbelievers, and those who believe will be gathered to the Lord, and the unbelievers will be gathered again. And as John said, with unquenchable fire, the final resting place of unbelievers is the lake of fire. So here is Naomi giving this advice to his, her daughter-in-law, saying, go down there to, to the winnowing uh, floor, and there you're going to find Boaz. He's working down there. And so we read in verse 3 that therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he finished eating and drinking. So when you go down there, first of all, get all gussied up, okay? You put on a new garment and, and wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garments. And when we come to Jesus Christ, I can't help but think of these things. These things here, three of them, that we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. As we come and we say, Lord, that, that I am dirty, that I have sinned. And as by his blood he washes us clean. That's the good news of the gospel for you and for me. But also we know, as Paul would write to Titus, we are washed with regeneration of the Holy Spirit. As we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us and works in our lives and then we know also as well that as she, you, as she says, wash yourself and, 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 and put on a different garment. That is, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are clothed with his righteousness. We can't come in our own righteousness. It is only when we come and we recognize our need for him and that I have been stained. And Lord, that I surrender to you, wash me clean. Wash me with the regeneration of the Holy Spirit as we come to be a believer. The Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. Wash me with the water of the word as Jesus would speak about to his disciples that you are washed with the words that I have given to you. And then you anoint me. That is, that you empower me, Lord, to live a life for you because I can't do that in my own strength, in my own energy. It has to be a submission to him. And so here she's coming to, Jesus, uh, to Boaz. We come to Jesus recognizing our need to put on a new garment uh, that is being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But here's the other thing, too. I was just thinking about this. In the book of Colossians as well as the book of Ephesians, you recall that it is Paul that's writing to those churches and saying, you need to put off the old man. Put off the old man, the former lust and, and all of that, and you are to put on the new man. And that is put on Christ Jesus. And literally what it means, that put on, is a change of clothes is what it means. We're no longer are following after the ways of the world and the lust of the world and the pleasures of the world. We are ones that we put on Christ Jesus. And so you go down to where he is and, and you go down and find rest and security that's there. He's your, your redeemer. He's the one that is your goel. And so we notice here also as well, as we continue verse 4, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, verse 5, all that you say to me, I will do. Now this may seem a little bit kind of odd to us that she would do this go down the threshing floor and when he falls asleep uncover his feet and just kind of curl up at his feet there but as strange as this might be lying at his feet it speaks of humility 
Ruth did not go down to Boaz and say, listen, you're my go well and be all demanding, and I believe that you need to redeem me and redeem our family name on behalf of Elimelech and Melon and Chilion, and that's your responsibility, and I want you to do it now. She doesn't approach Boaz in that way, but she comes in humility. She comes in just at the feet of Boaz here, just desiring to, to draw close to him. And you see, that's how we approach the Lord, don't we? We approach the Lord as we humble ourselves and come to him and recognize our need for him and our need for redemption. But I want us to notice something else. Not only did she come in humility, but she came in submission as well. As it was Naomi that said, he'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you what to do. You do it. It reminds me of, of Mary there in John chapter 2 when she told the servants, you go and do Jesus, do everything that he tells you to do. Very wise Mary was there at the, the wedding feast in Cana. And so we are to do everything that the Lord tells us, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I hope we do. That we would come in full submission to the Lord. Lord, I submit my heart to you. And I just want to sit at your feet and I come in humility, recognizing my need, but also I come trusting you, knowing that you're going to work and that your promises are true and that you do indeed love me. But also, I just want to put a little bug, guys, into your ear as well. Boaz was a godly man. He was a man of godly integrity and character. And he's known by that. And Naomi knew that. And we also know that Ruth knew that as well. And he's going to tell you what to do. You can trust in him. That he's going to desire to do what is best as he seeks the Lord and desiring to please the Lord with his life. So I want to say this, husbands and dads. Do our wives, do our family look at us and say, you know, we're going to do what I know that you want us to do as we lead, as we're saying we need to go in this direction and do these things, can they trust you because you're a godly man? You're a man of integrity. You're a man of character. You're a man that's seeking the Lord and desire to please the Lord in your life. Can your wife, can your kids look at you and say, you know what, we can do what you desire for us to do because we come in submission as wives are to be submitted to their husbands as unto the Lord is the qualifier, guys. And can they say that? Because my husband desires to be submitted to you, the Lord. And I know that he's going to be seeking the Lord. And the decisions that we need to make in life, decisions about our family, that he loves me, he is going to be a security and provision and protection for me and for my family. And I hope and pray that, that our family, our kids and our wives can say that about us, just as Ruth had confidence there in Boaz. So as we continue, verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was tearful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. So not only was Boaz working, but he's guarding as well. Why is he guarding? Because he didn't want anybody to come along and steal the harvest here. 
And this is the days of the judges. And we know that it was the Midianites during those days that would come in and they would steal the harvest from the children of Israel at harvest time. So he's, he's working and he's guarding. And again, the threshing floor speaks of sacrifice and separation. And as we come to the feet of our Lord, it's a place of, of sacrifice, a place of separation, getting away from the world and just being close to the Lord. It's a place of, Lord, I desire, as we say in our hearts, as we show that devotion to him, I want to be a living sacrifice unto you, which is my reasonable service, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Ruth had moved from the field of gleaning for herself to the threshing floor where she is giving of herself now. And when you come to that place of giving of yourself to the Lord, you know where you're going to find yourself? At the feet of Jesus. It's going to take place at the feet of Jesus. At the threshing floor where there's sacrifice and separation. That, Lord, I want to be devoted to you completely. And so verse 8, now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and there was a woman who was lying at his feet and he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. You, you are the Goel. You're the kinsman redeemer. And what she's doing in humility and in modesty, she's declaring to Boaz, would you be a spiritual covering for me? I am Ruth. Take me under your wing. I'm a... From Moab, as she comes and shares her heart. And the question is going to be, would this wealthy man, this strong man, take this Gentile under his wing? Would he be a covering for her? And perhaps Ruth is a little bit nervous as she's saying, I'm from Moab, I'm not from this country, but I'm giving my heart to you. And I'm sharing my heart as her love is growing for Boaz. And would you please keep me under your wings, a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of security. You know, sometimes perhaps we can come to the Lord, or maybe you know somebody that they feel like, I can't fully come to the Lord. I've blown it so much. And I've come so short of what I should be or... It seems like I struggle in so many areas. I have so many failings and and shortcomings. And we wonder if we can hide under the shadow of his wings, if the Lord will accept us and love us and forgive us. And we need to understand that as we come in that humility and submission and that devotion to him, it's always come and he always receives us. I don't know what you've been through in life, but we can come and we can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and receive his love and his protection and his covering for us. And that is what Ruth is doing here. And so verse 10, then he said, Blessed are you, the, the um, Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. Now you recall that it was Boaz in chapter 2. As he noticed Ruth. He said to Ruth, You glean in my field. Don't go to anybody else's field. You drink of the water that we draw for you, and you stay with the young women. Don't go after the young men. And here Boaz, he's saying, oh, I'm so blessed because that's what you did. And you recall last week that we talked about how the Lord desires for us to glean from his field, his blessings, his truth, his word, not to go gleaning off somewhere else in another field after the world, the pleasures of the world. 
to, to drink what he has for us. Because Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come in and drink what I have to give to you. And he would say to the Samaritan woman, if you drink of the water, the living water that I have to give, you'll never thirst again. And as we come and as we just draw close to him, and as we glean from him, and as we just have devotion with him and closeness with him, it blesses the Lord. Do you know that? I hope that all of us know that the Lord desires for you to just come and sit at his feet and spend time with him and to glean from him and to be refreshed from him. It blesses him when he does that, when we do that for him. And, and he desires for us to spend that time with him. Just as Boaz said, you didn't go off to another field. You didn't go with the young men, but you've blessed me tremendously. And so verse 11, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman, a, a woman of character. And now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. And stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So he says something interesting. There's a closer relative. He has the first rights to, to redeem you and, and to take you as the kinsman redeemer would, to take you as wife. So if he does that, okay, but if not, then I'm next in line. So who is this closer relative? Well, let's read on. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but let's finish the chapter, verse 14. So she lay at his feet till morning, and she arose before no one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. In other words, he's just protecting her. He didn't want to put her in a place of gossip. And so being that covering, in verse 15 also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. There are times where we just need to rest and be still, isn't there? When God is working. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we get a little bit anxious or where we wonder, Lord, how is this going to work out? And the Lord oftentimes will say to me, you need to just be still. Be still and know that I am God, that I am working. And that's not an easy thing to do because we live in an instant world. I want answers now. I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, Lord. I want to know how you're going to work this out. What's the plan here? You ever felt that way? I feel that way at times, and the Lord will say to me, you need to just sit still. You need to trust in me and then rest in me. And that's what it means to come into the rest of the Lord. You see, we can trust in the Lord, but we get anxious at times. The Lord wants us to trust in him and then rest in him as well. Just resting that he's working, resting in his promises, resting that he's going to do the very best for you and for me. And so you need to just stay still, know that Boaz is going to do everything that he can, and he's going to work this out. So chapter 4, so Boaz went up to the gate and sat there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. Now, in ancient times, they would have the gates of the city. They would have, you know, that place 
They're at the edge of town where the leaders, the religious leaders, the elders of that community would come and civil and religious matters would be settled there. So whenever you go through the Old Testament and you read about those at the gate of the city, it's talking about matters being settled. It's kind of like that's where the courtroom was. That's where justice would be you know, administered at that time. Uh, that's where the leadership would sit, at the gates of the city. So when you see that, that's what it's talking about in the Old Testament. So here is Boaz. He, he brings, verse 2, ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to her brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So he says to this closer relative, this is what I want you to do, you know, redeem it if you can. <clears throat> and he tells of the situation of Naomi coming back in Elimelech, and that, you know, his sons are dead. And so, you know, you have a chance to redeem the land back into the family and perpetuate, you know, their name, <clears throat> that their inheritance may continue. So he says, okay, I'll redeem it, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it because, verse 5, Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And a close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So here, this close relative that's not named, he says, I can't take Ruth as my wife. I got my own wife. I got my own kids, my own inheritance. I don't want to ruin their inheritance. So I can't redeem on behalf. I cannot save it. I'm going to pass. So Boaz, you're going to be the one that's going to redeem. So who's the closer relative? I think it speaks of the law. It speaks of the law. Because the law won't save you. And the law can't redeem you. And when the children of Israel came out of Egypt to the Mount Sinai, the law was given. The law is God's perfect standard, God's standard of righteousness. The law is good. The, the law is righteous. Here's the problem. We can't keep the law. And the law declares that you and I are guilty. And that's what Paul was writing to the Galatian churches as we read in the New Testament. He would say, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to be a schoolmaster to show us that we are all sinners, that we are guilty of sins. And the children of Israel made a mistake in thinking that the law made them righteous. It showed them that they weren't righteous. It showed them that we can't keep God's holy standard. And the one who could keep the law, and did keep the law. Jesus Christ, the only one that ever lived a perfect life, that he fulfilled the law. He would come and he would redeem you and I by shedding his blood. And he redeemed us by his blood so that you and I, through faith, might come to have eternal life and be declared righteous. And it would be Paul that would say in Galatians 2, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. And we know that it was the law that was to be a schoolmaster, as Paul says, to point us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the kinsman redeemer. The law cannot save you and I. 
Again, the law is God's perfect standard, but it shows us how short we come of God's standard. And the one, you see, to be qualified to be the kinsman redeemer, first of all, you had to be qualified, and Jesus is the one that kept the law perfectly, but also be willing to redeem. And Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and for me. And he died in place of you and me. He took the judgment that you and I deserve on Calvary's cross. It's a beautiful picture that we see here of redemption. As here, Boaz is going to be now the kinsman redeemer. So verse 7, now this is the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. And so according to Deuteronomy chapter 25, what they would do is this ceremony would be conducted where the kinsman that declined his responsibility the one declining to redeem took his sandal off and gave it to the other. So that's what this close relative's doing. He's taking his sandal off, he's giving it to Boaz, and sandals, a shoe, was a symbol of possession. Just as Joshua was told in Joshua chapter 1, that wherever you tread your foot, your sandals, Joshua, you're going to possess the land, I'm going to give it to you. And so it spoke of possession, of having it. So he'd take his sandal off, and he would give it to the other who's going to redeem. That's what they would do in the ceremony, and the elders were their witnesses. It is also interesting that as you read Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verses 5 through 10, it also speaks of the widow that is there that has been rejected by the closer relative as he has declined to take her as wife and then perpetuate her dead husband's name by having children with her, that she would spit in his face. But Ruth is a lady here, so we don't see her doing that. There's no record of it. So that's in the book of Deuteronomy. There's this exchange of sandals going on, but we see that verse 9, as we we continue um, here, uh, verse 8, therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz and the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought, bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. And moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren. And from his position at the gate, you are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephratha and be famous in Bethlehem. And so Rachel and Leah, of course, they would bear the sons that would be the patriarchs of uh, the nation of Israel. So they're pronouncing this blessing. And, of course, it would be Judah that is the these people from uh, the patriarch Judah uh, there in Bethlehem. So they're saying, may you prosper and may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore uh, to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So we see here that there's blessing. May you have offspring. May your descendants continue, the name continue. And we see here that there is genealogy here from Perez all the way through Boaz. So Boaz, verse 13, took Ruth. She became his wife. And when 
He went into her. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And so here we see that Naomi, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, marries Boaz. And their love for each other is, is so wonderful. And the love that we have for our kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus Christ, you know, God's love is, is incredible, unmeasurable, indescribable. It is perfect. And Jesus demonstrated his love for you, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here's Naomi. Remember back in chapter 1? She said, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. I left full and I come back empty. And at one time Naomi thought, as she said, that the hand of the Lord is against me. I want to close with this. That maybe that tonight someone's here and you're thinking, oh, everything is against me. Nothing seems to be working out. This is a story of God's love. It's a story of God's redemption as Jesus Christ has redeemed you and I. That we are now heirs of, of, of Christ. We are joint heirs. We have an inheritance, a heavenly inheritance. Do we understand that? Read Ephesians chapter 1 and it talks about all the spiritual blessings that you and I have. And we talk about inheritance in this world and in in. You know, it's a blessing to be able to leave an inheritance for our children or, you know, to have an inheritance. But understand this, that you being a child of God, you have God's inheritance. The riches of heaven and the heavenly riches that are yours and mine that we can't even comprehend. And we should rejoice in that because of God's love for us and the work that Jesus Christ did in redeeming you and I. But also know that in this life, that if you're here and you feel like that things seem to be going against me. You remember Jacob back in the book of Genesis when he thought he lost Joseph and Joseph was sold off to slavery to Egypt and through a series of circumstances that it was Joseph that ended up becoming the prime minister of Egypt because God was working. But here was Jacob. He thought that Joseph was dead. And so there's famine in the land, and he sends his sons to Egypt, and they come back, and they said, we've got to take Be- uh, Benjamin, or the youngest. And Jacob said, no, I don't. I've lost Joseph, and now I'm going to lose Benjamin, and everything is against me. Everything is against me. But it wasn't that way. And sometimes in our lives, we can look at circumstances, and we think everything seems to be against me, and it's falling apart, and nothing seems to be working out, and I've experienced this loss, but I want you to know something. It was Joseph that later on said, what was meant for evil, God meant for good. And he promises in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that he promises to work for good all things for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. He's going to work for good in eternity's values and views. And you may not see that right now in your life. You may not understand that. We may not fully understand it until we get on the other side of eternity. But do you rest in that? Do you trust what he says and his promises given to you? 
And he promises to restore when you feel empty, when you go through loss, to bless you and to encourage you and to strengthen you. Just let the Lord work. You come and sit at his feet in devotion, in worship, in submission, and in humility. And you watch and see the faithfulness of the Lord working in your life. And that's what we see here in the book of Ruth. A book of love, a book of redemption, and a book of restoration. And we see here this blessing given. And it's interesting that as we see in verse 17, then the neighbor's women gave him a name saying, there is born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. So it would be Ruth who ended up being the great-grandmother of David, the king of Israel. I just wonder, I was thinking of this before I came down for service, I just wonder if Ruth had a chance to see her great-grandson David, if she held him when he was born. I don't know speculation i have a feeling maybe she did and here is through ruth this this gentile woman that came with nothing and broken and through loss and poverty that all of a sudden we see god working and it is through her line came david and through david the line of messiah speaking of god's grace god wants to work in your life if you just look to him You come in your bankruptcy, you come in your need, you come in your desire, you give your heart to him, submit to him, and allow him to just work in the life the way he wants to. Because, you see, he's already done the work in going to the cross for you. And that's why we come to the communion table here tonight. Because as we come to the communion table, it's remembering, coming in reverence and coming in in submission to the Lord, coming and recognizing that, Lord, I come and I have so much to be thankful for and I come and I hold the bread and the cup in remembrance of you for what you have done.